This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're here to talk about books like we do all the time. Andrew, again, do you have opinions about the National Football League? It's like what's happening. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What? Do you have opinions about sports? I mean, so the Cincinnati, right? Bengals? Yeah, go back. Going to the big game? Don't. Yeah, sure. And that's that's convenient because this week Craig read a book about big cats. Whoa! And so every week one of us, every week we start with a little sports chat, and then one of us tells the other <laughs> one about a book that that they've never read before. Yeah, that's and we talk true. about the author, and we all learn a little bit, and we all laugh a little bit, and we all love a little bit. Wow! Craig, what did you read this week? <laughs> I'm just so proud of you because I didn't bring up football. With any sort of good segue. No, you didn't at all. And, and you did such out. a good job. Thank you. I just want to model like positivity and friendship and affirmation. Yeah, and I'm I'm a professional, you know? This well, is, I've been doing this for years. <laughs> I've been here for years. Uh, I read Rotha's Creature by Claire Bell. Um, this was a Patreon recommendation from the their username is Spinel Did Nothing Wrong. I hope that's not problematic in some way. Yeah, that's their name. Um, This is what they said. There's a book I'd love you guys to talk about, Rothus Creature by Claire Bell. It's the first of a series I read as a teenager. The main theme of the series is exploring the early days of a roughly Stone Age society and being sapient in a world where that's a new idea. The book stars a clan of prehistoric big cats at the point where they discover how to work with fire. Oh, there's a very good chance that Spinell is a Steven Universe character. Oh, cool. Okay, yes, I think I figured it out. Okay, Andrew signs off on it. Great. Um, They close out their message with, it's a really fascinating idea, and I'd love to see the series get talked about. This is not a series I'd ever heard of. No, it's not. And so, like, in talking about the author stuff, we're going to talk a little bit about the publication history and how it's sort of stayed alive as a low-level thing. Like, it's safe to say that, you know, this has a dedicated fan base, but it's off the beaten path for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Roth's Creature came out in 1983, and then there were other books, uh, Clan Ground in 1984, Rotha and Thistle Chaser in 1990, Rotha's Challenge in 1991, and then Rotha's Courage in 2008. So That's you might, a big gap. <laughs> you might notice, yes, that there's a big gap there. And so, she wrote these books in the 80s and 90s, and they were, you know, they went out of print, but they were kept alive by, like, internet fan communities. Yeah. Um, so she was talking in a 2011, Claire Bell was in a um, 2011 tour.com interview. She says in the 1990s, Rotha readers created fan community meeting and role-playing websites to express their delight in and devotion to the series. In the beginning, they used existing fan sites such as the Lion King fan art archive. <laughs> um, and my husband discovered it and told me when, and when I went there, I shook with joy and nearly fell out of my chair. I thought people had forgotten Rotha, yet here she was thriving on the internet. Um, I was not only surprised and pleased by Rotha role-playing on the site, but dumbfounded by the amount, the amount and quality of reader creativity, I decided to give them my blessing to play in Rotha's world. Many writers wouldn't do this as they feel it is a violation of their work. I encouraged both RPs and fanfiction since people were doing it out of sheer love for the series and it spread the word. Rotha fanfic also served as a great training ground for young writers as Star Trek fanfic did for me. So, yeah, it's kind of kept alive by folks on the internet there were some uh reprints of the series in paperback in 2007 by viking but those also went out of print okay um and they had had planned to publish rothus courage the 2008 one but they canceled that as well i don't know if it's a sales thing or what it was hmm. um but then she started working with imaginator press um and they reprinted both of the books but viking had not given up the 
writes to the first one. And so, you know, she says this frustrated our efforts to get and market the complete series. Uh, just recently, again, this is 2011, Penguin gave up the rights to Creature and both Sheila and I have signed contracts so that Imaginator Press can release a new edition. Having control over the whole series will make marketing it easier since we can keep it in print and can sell boxed sets. Huh. So a little bit of inside baseball publishing stuff. The box set, I think, is probably something that people will find. a pe- Like if you are the type of reader who kind of likes to dig into a fantasy setting or a wor- you know a, a series with a world the ability to sell the box set does seem important well and, and there are this might be a little like covid uh yeah yeah book supply chain stuff but like mm-hmm. the last time i went to buy one copy of a book uh it was Susanna wanted a new copy of dune because ours had disintegrated oh sure and the only way i could buy it was as part of a box set oh wow huh which also had a bunch of the other like wild subsequent dune books and some of the ones that like frank herbert's kid wrote and it's a whole (laughs) bunch of stuff that i don't necessarily need i feel like that's publishers being like well it's going to be harder to sell these prints of the third book in a series let's let's pack them up yeah let's pack them up so that if people are interested in the first one also just want to react to the wow this book would be really potent for online rp communities yeah i had Mm -hmm. not really considered that during my reading how formative this book might be for people who are interested in sapient cats yeah there was (laughs) and i say that without judgment i just like honestly hadn't given it enough credit for how strong a pull that might be for some people. Yeah, there's a official site. doesn't look like it's been updated in a while at rothiscourage.com. Mm. And there are forums there, but I think they were used mainly for announcements. The last post was over a decade ago, and none of the posts have any replies on oh, them. Oh, no. But I I mean, I, I think that's just like nobody's using forums yeah, in it's 2010. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's older than um, but yeah, there are announcements there about her appearing at like a couple of furry conventions and yeah, okay, yeah, cool, kind of yeah. That seems like yeah, that seems like There's this some might overlap, be up some alleys there. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, did you see, find anything else cool about her? I saw a little bit about her like engineering background. Yes, yeah, she was born in 1952. Um, she's a British-born author, but her family moved to the U.S. in 1957, and she's been here since then. Um, and yeah, the, like the background for the book is that she was interested in paleontology as a child and she loved big cats. And that's all I could really find on like <laughs> where the books came from. Yeah, sure. As far as her career, yeah, she studied uh, biology and chemistry in college and then worked for the U.S. Geological Survey as a field technician and for IBM as an electrical engineer. Um, and then she also was an editor of the Electric Audio Association's newsletter from 92 to 99. Huh. Uh, participated in electric vehicle races in the yes. mid 90s and then worked as an electrical electric vehicle engineer in like the early 2000s. Huh. Uh That's but yeah, cool. she left IBM in 1990 to write full time. Um she has some other books like outside of this series. Yeah, she but, has yeah. she has a couple um like on 2000 in 2009 on Twitter she wrote um, like a in micro 140 book. character ch- chunks because that's how many characters you had back then. She huh. wrote like a Ratha's novella thing that cool. went up a bit at a time that I think you can find on the internet archive still. Huh. All right. But yeah, not really a lot that I've found that she's done like more recently than, than that. But yeah, these books were clearly very important for some people on the, on the young internet. Yeah, it is a one web 1.0 days. It won some like YA book awards. Like it got some like notoriety and, and critical acclaim. Um, and I think part of that is just if you, regardless of whether or not you're into cats, like <laughs> a lot of the beats cool it, for cats, <laughs> a lot they of prefer to say, uh, a lot of the beats it hits are going to be similar to someone who's interested in like kind of why a, uh, like fantasy world fiction where it's like there's a small town or a group of people and then someone winds up going out on their own and they're a little bit different and they're you know they're learning that the world is not as they knew and also they're growing up and going through changes and that kind of thing is like if you read that when you're that age it's gonna stick with you 
um, if it holds your attention. So yeah, there was there was a thread in the three star Goodreads reviews that I read. Yeah. Um, I just I skimmed a few of them sure. and just saw a bunch. And this is this is my reaction to some of the sort of YA ish books that we've yeah read for the show. Is they say you know I I thought this sort of straddled the line between YA and adult. Mm-hmm. In a way that was awkward for me, I think I probably would have really liked it if I had come to it when I was younger, but I didn't. And so, you know, I thought it was fine, but it didn't really resonate yep. as much. Yep. yep. So there's, if, there's, I, I'm curious to know what your reaction to it was, but I know I've had that exact reaction to books on the show, including Dune, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> To true. bring it back. Yeah. Um, I'm pondering a, a turn of phrase I heard on Twitter this week. I don't like to do this too often because I can't cite it, but someone was talking about the difference between like talking about books as age appropriate versus talking about them as age relevant. Uh-huh. Um, especially as we're talking a lot about what is and is not in curriculums right now here in yeah. the United States. Yeah. Um, and this, some of the, the, the straddling the line between a YA book and something that's striking more adult themes. I think a lot of that is as we've talked on for previous books that are aged, you know, that are like aimed at kind of middle and high school age readers. Like some of that stuff is heavy or mm-hmm. it's like, intensely real and that doesn't mean that it's like too adult for a younger reader it's just they you know they gotta be ready for it or they're gonna be interested in it or whatever or they have to be prepared for yeah. it yeah or or have someone to talk to about it later you know all that yeah kind of right stuff. um well let's take a quick break and then i will tell you about ratha and her creature can't wait to hear about these big cats let's go Andrew, before I tell you about these big cats, I need to tell you about our sponsor this week. Okay, do it. Our sponsor this week is The Last Voice. It was The Last Voice, so I didn't want to say anything else. But (laughs) uh, no, The Last Voice is an immersive audio drama series exploring what it means to survive the end of the world only to be met with the horrors of isolation. Hmm. Gabriel Blythe survived the end of the world, and it seems like he was the only one. Now he is trying to reach out to any other survivors, inspiring hope and explaining the strange world he has found himself living in. Or maybe he's just talking to himself, clinging to his last threads of sanity in the only ways he knows. The Last Voice doesn't contain any credits or ad breaks so the audience can engage with this immersive experience as the artist intends. Self-contained, uninterrupted storytelling in episodes that range from 2 to 20 minutes. I listened to a little bit of it, and that is definitely the vibe. It's like you're listening to the document that the character is making. Like That's sure. the style of storytelling. Sure. It's as like someone- I'm in a video game from the late aughts and i'm picking up tape recorders and listening yeah, it's to cool the- <laughs> it, and it's okay. not something i i go to podcasts for normally so it mm-hmm. was like a, a a refreshing change of pace i'm used to like conversational podcasts and this was like a person a character talking sure. to me um, yeah season one is complete and it is the perfect time to binge it all before the season two release in the autumn of this year 2022 uh, the Last Voice is available wherever you get your podcasts or at www.lastvoicepod.com. Okay, Andrew, I have okay, a Craig. proposal here. Yeah. Is it does it involve big cats? It does. Yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do like I wrote my own little back of the book synopsis blurb here. Okay. Because the book is a pretty straightforward plot. Um, As I said, it's kind of an adventure growing up story for this big cat named Ratha. And I feel like one of the ways that we can get into it is for me to give you the big picture pretty succinctly. Mm -hmm. And that might help you kind of tell me what you're interested to hear about. Can we just lay lay some groundwork? Like how big a cat are we talking about? It's probably like a leopard slash lion okay so pretty big but not like bigger than some cats that still live on the earth today maybe big i don't know the so the wikipedia article and the book doesn't say any of this but the wikipedia article says sapient cheetah-like prehistoric nimravids um that okay now (laughs) nimravids are an extinct family of carnivores known as the false saber-toothed cats they are North American and Eurasian in in where they lived. And they were lying about some stuff. They were lying about stuff. Uh, but they seem to be pretty big. 
I don't know. There's like saber tooth tigers and stuff. All right. All right. Okay. Cool. 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 So big. I cats. just got a frame of reference for how big a cat we're talking. About. Yeah. Okay. So here's my top level thing here. Rather's creature is like a YA animal personhood story. It's a building's romance of a prehistoric big cat named Ratha who makes a fantastic technological discovery and changes her clan's way of life. She's driven from her people. She bonds with an outcast. She sees what life looks like among the unnamed outcasts. And her creature becomes her tool for toppling the existing power structure, though her future as the clan leader is left a little uncertain. Okay. What do you want to hear about first? So, okay, what I picked up from the reading i did is the named unnamed thing so the mm. the this series of books is either called the ratha series or the named series yeah and my understanding is the difference is that named cats or creatures are like sentient enough to name themselves and have an understanding of themselves as like individual mm-hmm. beings mm-hmm. and unnamed are more like just like animal animals well that's an interesting preconceived notion that you have that many of the characters share as well. So Ratha huh. grows up in a clan of the named, mm-hmm. um, led by a big jerk named Miorin. Um, he sounds she, like a jerk. He's a big jerk. But she, as the book opens... Now how big a jerk are we talking about? He's a really big okay. jerk. He's bigger than all the other cats. All right. um, she is being trained by this cat named uh, Thacker or the core. And uh, he is like, I don't know. The core seems kind of cool, but he also seems kind of haunted. And he doesn't fit the power structure of the clan because clearly something in the past happened. And Mayoran's keeping him around for reasons that we'll find out later. Mm -hmm. Um, He's taken a liking to Ratha, but she is interested. She's like pretty good at being a herder. More on that in a second. Um, such that maybe she is like a little too uh, feisty to like fit in neatly with the clan. We're getting a lot of the like, oh, she is very talented, which makes it hard for her to fit into like the neat little boxes that people peg for her kind of stuff. Um, all of these cats have names, as you have surmised. They, these cats are told that the unnamed, the wild cats that are not part of the clan... Um, they can. They are told that they cannot speak, that they are basically not people. Um, they can sort of. I think at one point they say that like they can hate you. These cats have a concept of hatred, and I love it. Um, okay. That they can hate you the same way that a beast that you harmed could hate you. Um, but one of the early mysteries of the book is that Rafa has a few near run-ins with what is clearly an unnamed, like a cat that is not part of the pack, mm-hmm. and it talks to her. Um, but it's not supposed to be able to do that. It's not supposed to be able to do that, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And so after the like exciting adventures in the first third of the book that lead to her getting you know outcast from her own clan, she comes across an unnamed cat whom she names Bone Chewer, because she's like, I need to call you something, you big jerk who's like chewing on dead bones and stuff. And he's like, well, you can call me what you want, whatever. And she's like, bone chewer. And he's like, whatever, fine. Um, and he's like, nah, there are those of us who can talk. That's kind of weird, huh? Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool, okay. So it's about like prejudice of people outside of your community and stuff like that, right? No, Andrew, it's, it takes another weird step. Okay, well, now what? Some cats literally are not smart enough to be talky cats and have names. But not... Okay. So culturally, the cats outside the clan eschew names. They get they are dubbed like lives by the water or mm-hmm. big gray one or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- some of them are smart enough to talk and have opinions. And some of them are described as witless or Ratha says that they don't have like a certain like light in their eyes and they are literally like they just don't have personhood. Uh-huh. It's like it's sort of like um does Toy Story have a rule that if you get like caught by a human you just become a toy forever? I don't know. That's don't a think different so. that's a different 
Christmas movie that I remember as a kid. No, Sorry. You're, you're, I feel like it's tickling something in my brain, but no, like the toys just have a pact where they decide not to do it, but then they break the rules. And listen, I don't know who yeah. made the rules. I don't know who enforces the rules, but they do break them when they scare Sid. That's true. You're right. And Woody does retain his personhood. <laughs> That's true. No, uh, there is a Christmas movie I'm thinking of from like Nickelodeon, you know, television that was like, if a if a kid saw you moving, you got iced basically, and you were just like turned back into just a regular toy. That's horrifying. It's awful. It's awful. And so there's a the personhood question in this book. I don't know. It left me kind of feeling weird about it because Ratha is confronting like whether or not these witless cats deserve to be treated like people. Uh huh. And they, but everyone. Even the people who would like help them agree that like nah they just don't got it like they're just not with it they can't talk to you they can't understand you more than an, an another animal that you trained it's very strange but the okay but does does that affect how they treat the the people who aren't the cats who aren't in the clan but they can talk so all the cats that are not in the clan in this book. From the clan's eyes are bad guys because here's how the, here's how the clan works. Uh, in the world building, there's one. There's only one clan. Maybe mm-hmm. out. Maybe you know these cats don't have concept of the planet Earth yet. But um, they, the only one that Ratha has ever heard of, and the only one that anyone has ever heard of, is this one clan currently ruled by Miorin, and they have invented herding and shepherding. Or they've okay. discovered it. I don't know. They're up at that rung of the t- of the tech tree at this point, Andrew, mm-hmm. where they have taken a lot of land and they have like deer and horses that they just like keep on that land. And when they need to, they eat them. Okay. Which is kind of cool that cats... They sort of started to d- discover like... Farming. Basic, yeah, yeah. Agriculture. What's it called when it's animals and not uh, husbandry? Husbandry. Sure. Yes. Um, and sort of this idea that, like, okay, there are some seasons where hunting is more difficult. What if we just plan for that by, like, for you know, domesticating these animals <laughs> as animals ourselves, mm-hmm. and then we will have food for later, and the food will procreate, and that will be fine. Um, the unnamed will show up sometimes and they will raid the herd, Yeah, take their food, and then bounce. Just like a squirrel will take food out of your garden. Yeah, exactly, actually. And every year you get ready to fight the squirrels. Yeah, <laughs> you prepare for death. war. Um, so those unnamed cats who are in charge of that raiding are the ones who can talk and think and they kind of run their own little packs of witless cats that follow them um though that that latter part you don't learn until later in the book okay so that's like the setup for the status quo we learn a little bit later that the attacks have been getting more frequent that maybe some like i don't know we've been overgrazing the area food is getting scarce maybe we've been over hunting or some climate change might be happening. And so everybody like is a little more on edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mayorin is kind of painted as this leader who is not thinking far enough ahead. And he's like got an iron fist, an iron paw rather, <laughs> on his clan. But they he don't have opposable thumbs. Do they no, have like tools? Do they have tools? Uh, well, Interesting. You should say that, Andrew. Okay. Finish your thought, and then we can talk about the tools. Yeah. So he is kind of... He's in charge, but it seems like not enough people respect him, and that's a problem for for him, because <laughs> they're going to do something about it. Um, so here's where the tools come in, actually. So big, exciting opening action sequence a little ways into the book is the unnamed attack. Uh it's very it's pretty vicious a bunch of the animals get taken during the middle of it there's a big storm 
lightning strikes, fire happens. Okay. It's very bad. Big wildfire. It feels sort of like a cool, like a, I don't know, it feels like a, a Western movie where like they got to save all the horses from the fire and they got to like <laughs> herd them into the shallow water to keep them away, but then the water isn't as shallow as they thought, so Ratha almost drowns. Mm-hmm. And then the plane is kind of reduced to ash. They refer to fire as the red tongue. Okay. Um, they That's... think it's a creature, basically. They think it's alive. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It shares, I think when you're doing thought experiments about what life is, fire is a common oh, yeah. example that you bring up that skirts the line. Yes. Um, and we're going to get into like Rotha discovering that you have to like feed it to keep it alive and stuff like that. Um, but so Mayorin is like, okay, we got to go back to where we were. And Thacker's like, listen, dude, like that's covered in ash now. Like we got, I don't know about that. And he's like, no, it'll be fine. We just got to wait for the grass to grow back. Um, I'm going back there. And so people are upset about that. On the way back, Ratha and Thacker walking by themselves. And Ratha discovers that some of the red tongue is still alive on like Uh a fallen tree. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I hate this thing, but I'm also fascinated by it, which like a lot of, you know, that's everything. <laughs> I hate it, but I can't look away. That's every, well, and it's also like every six-year-old goes yeah. through a uh-huh. fire phase, I think. So, um, And here's the little passage where she tries to kill it, um, but also like learns about it. With flattened ears and streaming eyes, Ratha lunged at the red tongue's black throat. Her teeth sank into charred wood and she twisted her head sharply. The branch broke off. She held it in her mouth for several seconds, watching the flame curl and hiss near the end of her nose. The charcoal tasted bitter, and Ratha flung the branch away. It rolled over and over in the dirt. The fire flickered, hissed, and went out. So she learns a lot pretty quickly about how fire works because she is, she is like not afraid of it, but she respects its power. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of the other cats are like, fire, get me out of here. Like Thacker yeah. saw a, a horse like, burn to death. And he's like, I'm done with this. No more, please. <laughs> uh, and Ratha's like, oh, I learned how to kill it or kill one of its like children, she calls it. And so she actually gets really sucked into like, well, what if I could like keep it though? Mm-hmm. What if she I becomes could- radicalized by... She just dis- she discovers te- like she discovers technology, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of interesting what Bell did to like go through this process where Roth is like, "Huh, it is a thing. I can make it stronger. I can watch it get weaker." She discovers that it keeps her warm if she keeps it at a comfortable size, like a campfire almost. Mm-hmm. Um and she's naively is like well, I'll just bring this home and like teach it to everybody. <laughs> uh, that I think the book does not make as explicit a, a leap here, but I think my brain was rattling around some like uh, once you cross a technological barrier, you can't go back. Like that yeah, is a yeah. thing that is going on in this book mm-hmm. where now Ratha brings the fire home this one other uh, cat, I almost said lion, but they're not lions. Um, yeah, Fesrin. Um, she's another herder that doesn't like Mayorin. And she's sort of into this fire idea. <laughs> uh, and when Ratha shows the fire to, to Mayorin, it's pretty clear that he's scared of it, that everybody else is scared of it. And Thacker makes the decision to like sort of betray Ratha to get her to run away and like go like full Simba in the middle of the Lion King, like leave this place and never come back. Right. Um, and take the fire with you because Mayorin is not going to let you live now that you have like challenged him with your cool new magic. Uh-huh. Um, and that leads to this, the really long middle section of the book and not long in like a, a, way that was tough on me as a reader but it was a bigger stretch of the book than i expected where she's off on her own she meets bone chewer and he's like huh you suck at hunting you idiot (laughs) clan cat who Mm -hmm. only knows how to herd Mm -hmm. um and so he has to teach her to hunt there's a there's a weird thing here andrew where because you're looking at these prehistoric creatures through the eyes of a cat who doesn't Mm -hmm have modern taxonomy they're like oh it's a bear tail and you're like is that a possum 
And then it's like, oh, here's a giant bird with a lizard head. And you're like, is that just a vulture? Like, that that part was fun for me. Like, guess does, this animal. <laughs> does Belle give you enough, like, information to be able to consistently guess what the animal is? Like, how does she... There was only one How does she communicate things to your human brain? Usually it is, like, describing its body. The possum thing I got because it described a mom possum, like, with all its little ones, like, hanging on it like you've mm-hmm. seen on twitter when a possum when mom possum walks by carrying all the baby possums mm-hmm. um there's one that like is described as like a big fuzzy orange horse with claws that i wasn't i didn't know what that one was i thought it might have been a giant sloth but that didn't quite make sense <laughs> um that was the only one that really stumped me usually yeah, it's get, possible that it was a prehistoric animal that you're not meant to know what it is yeah that's probably it um, but Bone Chewer kind of teaches her how to hunt by like, listen, you think all these animals are idiots because you herded a bunch of them. Like, you have to think the way they do. Like, you have to imagine that they have at least, even though they don't have language, have like mm-hmm. thought about how to survive before. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, a shrew isn't just going to have one hole because it's not an total idiot like you have to (laughs) you can't just block up one of its holes and then kill it like it's going to have somewhere else to go stuff like that Mm -hmm. you get the vibe andrew that bone chewer knows more than he's letting on what do you think bone chewers deal i found this book a little predictable but not in a bad way so i want to guess if you see if you can guess what bone chewers deal might be i mean if i had to guess based on what has happened to ratha and what you've told me so far i've got to imagine that bone chewer was like in some other clan but it has also been ejected from it for some reason there are clues i haven't dove into but you're basically getting close bone chewer is later revealed in a way that is like the book probably thinks you already figured this out that he is thocker's uh brother that was expelled because thocker's dad mated with an unnamed which you're not supposed to do okay so i yeah i was pretty but you were pretty close like that's the type of thing that's she's like how do you know all this stuff and how how can you talk and right it's not just some random cat who happens to know all this stuff it is somebody who comes from the same place and is privy to a lot of the same knowledge. so he's kind of like an in-betweener cat where he helps her kind of like figure out what life is outside of the clan. And he also knows the rules of like the new school that she's going to with all the unnamed cats. Mm -hmm. Um, The other part of this book that I've alluded to is like, it's about kind of growing up with your body as a young lady, except if you were a cat. So after she's hanging out with, uh, bone chewer for a little while they really start to smell each other they just get really into each other's smells mm-hmm. in I a mean, w- that happens yeah in a way that like it's clear that she didn't have the talk with anyone like she kind of knows what's going on but mm, you know i mean dude in the animal kingdom do you have the talk or do you just kind of let they're the sapient cheetahs, Andrew. I guess there is a there is a, like a joke early on when some like cubs are watching some horses bone down, and they're like, "What's <laughs> happening over there?" And people are like, "That's not cub thoughts." We'll tell you later. Like we'll explain it to you later, Jeez. sort of thing. Right. Sure. Um, and so you get the sense that Ratha is like sort of aware of what's happening, but we've never seen her with like an adult, other female cat to like talk her through any of it um the other thing that i think is interesting is that it's like she is smart enough to question what is happening to her and like feel like the when she's in heat it's like taking over her like her body is doing things that she is not fully like i didn't decide to be attracted to this guy right now kind of Mm -hmm. stuff um they do bang it's weird i was not prepared to read a cat (laughs) sex scene in this book it's not long i don't know how many details i want to ask you i don't want to give too many friendly podcasts it's this is not an explicit episode so i don't want to and and it's not a gratuitous 
seeing or anything. It's not like HBO for ancient <laughs> cats. Listen, you and me, baby, we're just, nothing but mammals. Do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Like that's what this book is up to. Oof. Um, you get they that? They played reference? that song at the end of a uh, prom dance that I went to <laughs> in high school. I think a DJ was having a little bit of fun. Those guys are um, not. They they got started like not far from where I grew up. Yeah, the Bloodhound Gang. The Bloodhound Gang. Um, yeah, it's just a weird like. It, actually, it's not that weird in the context of what the book is doing. It makes a lot of sense, especially at, that's why I'm like making these kind of like growing up narrative comparisons because then when when she is pregnant and like gives birth to her cubs. And is like dealing with the fact that she's doing it alone and doesn't have any frame of reference for what's happening to her. Like you can take some of these beats and you'll find them in a lot of other books written about characters that have a similar mindset and age written for readers with a similar mindset and age. Like this, it is not novel to see the emotional beats. It is novel to experience them with prehistoric big cats. If that's, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yes, I do know. Um, there is a reference to it uh, to it hurting in a way that if you think about cats, you won't be surprised. That's yeah, what, yes, yes. Uh, so how does this whole situation, after they discover each other's bodies? Yeah. And, like, I don't know, what's the rest of the book like? Is there a montage where she learns more about fire? What is, I, what, is okay. what are the next it's, steps? Um, the fire thing, I thought, was going to be a big part of the book. Though, in retrospect... Isn't that the creature? Yeah, it's a big part of the beginning and the end of the book. Because when she runs away from the clan and she thinks she's being chased, she drops the one fiery branch she had in the river... And it's gone. And she can't, like, make more... She doesn't know how to make fire. Mm-hmm. She just can take it if, you know, lightning It has strikes. been made, yes, already, yeah. So, all of her time with Bone Chewer, she doesn't talk about fire at all. It's not a part of her life. Bone Chewer takes her to the Council of the Unnamed, which is, like, this big, like, gathering of the juggalos for all of these, like, wandering <laughs> cats that don't have a home. Now, can um, they? Can those? I guess if they know how to make an organization, those cats must be sentient. This is the the kind of mix of sentient and non sentient cats that I talked about earlier. So, like, there's a council of cats who uh, are using Bone Chewer for his knowledge about the clan, for like information, um, and a lot of them have like a posse of cats of different levels of intelligence that follow them around. Mm-hmm. And this is where Ratha is confronted with the idea that there are cats out there that are as like developed as the animals she used to herd. And it's very troubling to her. Sure. Um, the big takeaway from this council thing is what I talked about earlier, where resources are getting scarce. The council just wants to kill the entire clan now and take all of their land. And Bone Chewer is like, what if we continue this like parasitic symbiotic relationship where just every year we show up and take a tax? Like that would be better, right? And they're like, nah, screw it. We're going to go and kill all those guys. Okay. Yeah, because um, that's the plot of the movie Bugs Life. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Dang. That's why this book hits for people, I yeah, guess. Yeah, animals. It's, yeah. All right. Um, And so... He and Ratha are going to be part of this next attack on the clan. She's kind of doing it because what other option does she have? Bone Chewer is going to, after this attack, like they're going to go off together, raise their cubs, and like do their own thing. The clan is routed. Um, while she is helping with the attack on the clan, she witnesses some of the unnamed kill another cat she knew. They don't abide by any of the laws, Andrew. The cat bears its neck as like a sign of like, that's sort of like a, it's like kneeling or like offering an open palm. Like it is like, I am vulnerable. You could bite my neck right now. I'm going to display it to you sure. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they just crush his head uh, and kill him. And she's like, you didn't even like tear out his throat so that he couldn't like scream and breathe like, like that's the honorable way to do it, and these cats yeah. won't. They're dirty rascals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
after they do that, she goes off and she has the babies with uh, Bone Chewer after she learns that Bone Chewer is Stalker's brother. The baby stuff is wild for two reasons. The pregnancy stuff I really liked, like the actual birth stuff I liked because there are these passages where she's like, how long would it take? Was it happening as it should? She didn't know. She was alone with her body and the strange and awesome thing that was happening to her. And then she goes through this like process of being like, every female since the first has gone through this. If they can, I can. The clan couldn't kill me. Neither could the unnamed. I am a herder of three horns, the bearer of the red tongue, and I'm going to have these cubs. And she's like, <laughs> I'm going to give birth to these babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big conflict with these babies I was also not prepared for is... First, she doesn't want to let Bone Chewer near them because she thinks he's going to eat them or something, which she gets over. And then they raise the cubs for a few weeks. But the cubs don't seem to be sentient. They don't seem to be sapient. And she Is that was, something you can become later or are you always one way or the other? It is very unclear. Okay. I think subsequent books might deal with that a little yes. bit more. But yeah. In... It's one of the cubs is named Thistle Catcher or Thistle Chaser. Yeah, which I think is, that's the third book. Yeah, which is her one and only daughter of the three cubs that she has. And mm-hmm. by her being in the name of the third book, I bet that something develops with these cubs. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but her and Bone Bone Chewer have like a big fight about what to do. With I know he's like actually he's a tough guy but he's got a sweetheart and so I feel kind of uncomfortable calling him like a WWE name bone chewer, um, <laughs> but they have a huge knockdown dragout fight where she like doesn't want these kids and storms off and runs away and it's like some kind of some interesting like postpartum stuff happening in that sequence it's it's fascinating I was really surprised by it in a, in sure. a good way mm-hmm. um and then the last section of the book she hooks back up with the surviving members of the clan thacker fesserin are still there miorin is still there he still sucks and fesserin convinces her to bring the fo- bring some new fire that showed up uh back to the clan to challenge him uh they kill him gruesomely by shoving a flaming branch in his mouth and then his whole body catches fire because Fesserin won't let him get to the stream to try to put the fire out. What? Yeah, dude. Okay. This book is intense. That's pretty intense. Um, uh, and so then Ratha is declared the leader of the clan because she is the one who bears the red tongue. Thakur gives her this little speech where he's like, check out your clan now. Everybody's wielding fire. There's no turning back. And that's the, like, we have nuclear weapons now moment, I guess, Uh Mm -hmm. because they handily defeat the next unnamed invasion such that it appears as if they will never challenge them again. And so the ending of... Or will they? Well, who knows? This this iteration of it will not happen. Bone Chewer uh, is part of that. He has a final scene that's very moving. Um, And it ends with her as the new leader. And so it's got this, like we changed how things worked but at what cost you were you abandoned motherhood for this position that's not why she abandoned motherhood she actually just kind of ran away from this like notion of personhood that scared her but um they're not compatible as she is as a person so that's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting okay um yeah i was just kind of like struck by how many things were happening in this book about prehistoric big cats it sounds like a lot like i guess i can i can i can understand from hearing you describe it to me both why it resonated very strongly with a small group of people (laughs) and also why it did not resonate with a larger group of people why did why it didn't harry potter you know like why it didn't mm -hmm. just like become the next big thing for sure Mm -hmm. um the I think part of it is the like the character archetypes are very familiar and I wouldn't go so far as to say they're tropey partially just because the setting is so novel. Yeah, I was gonna say they might be saved from tropiness just by the uniqueness of the of the setting and the characterization. Yeah, yeah. But they they function in a lot of ways that you would f- find in other books like this. Um, yeah, for sure. 
which was kind of nice, actually. Um, you got to have something to keep you, a human reader, grounded <laughs> in this big cat book, <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, for sure. Because it then, sounds like it's purposely trying to like create a distance between you and them mm-hmm. to some extent to like draw attention to how these aren't humans. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's it's the one-to-ones to human life and society are not clean, which I also liked. Like mm-hmm. the sex stuff and the pregnancy stuff is interesting, but you're it's never I never doubted that Ratha was a cat whenever she was thinking about it. Like it's sure. still it still had a pretty song pretty strong sense of POV from her and her lived reality, which was kind of impressive. Um and the like technology stuff with fire was kind of neat. I also like there's just like you know me. I like some of the culture stuff where it's like these cats can herd. These cats, one cat says hate begets hate, and I was like heck yeah. <laughs> um, they also this like cat knows about midichlorians. <laughs> um, later in the book, when uh, Ratha before she winds up challenging Miorin, she actually like abandons the clan a second time because they realize that she can't live there harmoniously and she's she wants to ask Thacker to come with her and the way she phrases it is do your paws seek a new trail I love it when Hmm. animal books have idioms from the animals lived experience it's just (laughs) like it is not as far as the rabbit religion from Watership Down but it is on the same path and I'm a oh, I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that about you. Do your paws seek a new trail? Come on, my paws are okay on the trail that they're on for now, at least. It's I just my note here just says that is culture. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You got it out. You figured it out. What big animal would you like to read a book from their perspective of Andrew? Hmm, like alligators? Heck yeah. Yeah. Alligator society? Yes. I also kind of want to know how they feel about humans. Are there humans in this book? No humans, none whatsoever. Okay, fine. So that is something that if you're like, if you like animal books, and one of the things you like about them is how animals perceive people things, not here. Not going to happen. Um, And, but like it does kind of answer almost all of its animal personhood questions that I usually have about other books where it's like well can they talk to bugs and stuff like this has a pretty clear at least to the characters we meet like there's precedent for most of the way things operate and then mm-hmm. the the witless cats thing is like a big mystery to people sure um, in a way that makes sense so I don't know. They turned this into a cartoon or something. Yeah, in the I 80s. saw that in 1988 or 89. It aired um, as part of a CBS thing. Hold on, I have it in my notes. The uh, CBS Story Break. Okay. As far as I can tell, it is only available on YouTube, but it is available on YouTube. I might go watch it. Yeah, go watch this weird cat cartoon. Tell me what it's like. I will tell you. I don't know. I wonder if they kept the sex scene. I bet they didn't, but you know what? Who knows? Who knows? Well, maybe they just get to first base in the <laughs> cartoon. These cats have baseball now. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. If they had had sports in this book, I would have lost it. Yeah. Anyway, that's Rotha's creature. It's the answer. Her creature is fire. Um, yeah right and it's kind of cool the way the fire is treated anyway the other thing uh, i read on yeah. goodreads is that they call fire the red tongue yeah but then they call lightning sky fire <laughs> yeah every once in a while um <laughs> i will yes the not so much with the other animals but with fire in particular um sometimes the narrative the narrator voice is a little loose um like every instance of the red tongue in the third person close perspective of ratha is not referred to as fire sometimes sure. it's just the fire mm-hmm. yeah sky fire is weird <laughs> um and what do you think what do you think land fire is <laughs> kind of strange um but yeah it's i really liked the uh watching a a, a consciousness a person like 
work through how some of this stuff operates um, and and like how you would learn to use fire. Sure. Um, yeah. Which is just kind of neat. Um, and I can think about it next time I see a cat and be like, could you use fire? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening to me tell you about these cats that uh, bone and and use fire, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for telling me about them. Um, if folks want to tell us about uh, their cats who wield the whole the red tongue, <laughs> you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail dot com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. Thanks to Wolof B, Jenna, Allison, Amanda, Neil, L, Robert, Trine, and many more. A lot of folks were having fun with our lost symbol episode last week that show doesn't exist anymore it's sadly been canceled it's a there's a long-running curse on appointment television where if we would highlight a show (laughs) as part of our like spring or fall tv roundups it would inevitably be canceled if it was not even good but just like noteworthy in some way weird it took down a lot of bad shows too if yeah that's true if you and, haven't, but sometimes it gets a good show like The Lost Symbol. If you haven't listened to that, go back, give it a shot. It was a good time. Also, what posted over the weekend, our recent combo episode of Jagged Little Mill. So if you are not a Patreon supporter at that tier and you want to get caught up on Don Quixote, go give that a listen. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? They go to overduepodcast.com, which is where we have links to the books that we have read and aren't going to read. We don't have our February schedule figured out yet, but we're going to soon. Don't worry about it. Stop worrying about it. Yeah, stop worrying about it. Uh, we have links to uh, Apple Podcasts and other ways you can subscribe to the show. We have a link to our Patreon project. That's patreon.com slash overdue pod. Subscribe there and support us. And you get bonus episodes early. You get long read project episodes yeah. early. Uh, you get to sit in while we we'll have one of those bonus next episodes. Month. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. a lot of fun. Um, Oh, this week. I think that's it, right? What? This week um, on like Thursday, probably, you'll see a feed drop for uh, Well-Read Black Girl, a new podcast uh, from Glory Edom and the Pushkin Network. So give that a quick listen and then maybe go check out that show. Uh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So if you see that on the feed, it's not a mistake. We did it on purpose and it's a on sh- purpose. show that you think we think you might like. Yeah. All right, everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast about when cats discover fire, I guess. (laughs) Until we talk to you about something else next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.